This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman today, who is on the mend. Charles, hope you're doing okay if you're listening. Well, imagine going to the wrong address and getting shot in the head for simply ringing the doorbell. That is what happened to a teenager. Also, a Chinese spy operation caught on U.S. soil. And imagine spending thousands of dollars on children's birthday parties. Doing a lot of imagining today on the show. <laughs> yes, of, of course. I've been to some of those extravagant children's birthday parties. And um, yeah, very expensive. But we are going to start with Fox News and Dominion Rob, who were supposed to tangle in a courtroom today. Today was supposed to be the kickoff uh, in front of a judge today, but it's not happening. Happening, And, of course, the talk today is that there is a potential settlement uh, negotiation happening right now. Jane Kirtley directs the Scylla Center for the Study of Media, Ethics, and Law at the University of Minnesota to add some context to this. Hi, Jane. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. So what would be the benefit of Dominion settling with Fox News and and vice versa? What would be the benefit for Fox News in settling as opposed to going to court? Well, I'd say the biggest benefit to Dominion would be lots and lots of money. I'd say that for Fox, the biggest benefit would be that they would not have to have all of their dirty laundry exposed in that courtroom in Delaware. In the broader sense, I think the biggest good news would be for me that this would mean that the case would not go to the U.S. Supreme Court and therefore they would not get a chance to tinker with the New York Times versus Sullivan actual malice standard. So uh, some are speculating that uh, Fox News might be a little desperate to go uh, into a settlement because even if they lost the suit, if it went to trial, uh, they could still afford that. It would hurt, but they could afford it. So some people say they're doing this because they don't want more stuff coming out because there is more stuff embarrassing to them that can come out. What do you make of that? I think that that is a really good supposition. I, I mean, no company wants to give up over a billion dollars in money, but in the scheme of things for Fox, it's a lot more of a concern that the details about their internal op operations and their basic integrity and credibility, not just to the general public, but to their specific viewers would be on the line in that courtroom. And, of course, they may just not want Rupert Murdoch to testify. The judge is adamant that he will have to do that. And certainly if they did go to trial, they would have to put on the stand some of their biggest stars uh, and, and, and testify in this, possibly damaging their credibility with their own viewers. But it seems like this could possibly be a win-win for Fox and Dominion if they settle. However, there is the, um, the aspect of, What's ethically right? Is Dominion just after the money they say the company lost because of what they're claiming is defamation? But is it more about that or the principle of what happened to them, of what they claim that happened to them and what Fox News did to their company? Well, Dominion is adamant that it's not really about the money. It's exactly what you're talking about. They want this to be basically a referendum on Fox's credibility in general, and I think specifically in the context of the reporting on the 2020 election. A lot of people are looking to Dominion to be the surrogate for all kinds of complaints they have about Fox, not the least of which being the contention that Fox kept 
alive the notion that the election was stolen long after the proof and evidence had, had shown otherwise. And that was why I think Dominion is really reluctant to settle. I think they will not settle for less than some kind of public statement by Fox that they did wrong. And I think Fox is reluctant to do that. So it, it is probably a real stalemate in the settlement sessions that are going on now. All right. One last quick uh, question. Uh, if they do settle with uh, Dominion, and I'll ask you what you think the possibility of that will be, but then there's Smartmatic. Will uh, Fox News make a settlement offer with Smartmatic, the other voting system? Well, I think it's important to note that Fox has settled other libel cases. It's not like they have a firm policy against settlement. Um, they have to be concerned about the Smartmatic suit. And so it's conceivable that if they settle this Dominion one, they'll also make a move to settle with Smartmatic. Obviously, anything that comes out in this trial, if it does go to trial, is something Smartmatic's lawyers are going to be paying very close attention to, and it will help be helpful in their libel suit as well. All right. Thank you so much. It's uh, Jane uh, currently with the Scylla Center, Center for the Study of Media, Ethics and Law at the University of Minnesota. And of course, you can find the KNX In-Depth podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can look for us there or look for our rebroadcast at eight o'clock tonight on KNX. Coming up in just a few minutes on KNX In-Depth, a horrific shooting of a 16 year old black boy in Kansas City who simply knocked on the wrong front door. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Elsa Ramon, I'm Ron Barcher. And still to come on the show today, it was supposed to be a replacement for liposuction, but it's turning into a nightmare. Uh, yes, uh, definitely. Um, it's it's certainly touted as something that is going to be very effective, but... Uh, Although, you know, we don't know. There are some horror stories coming up about that. And right now, though, the city of Kansas City, Missouri, is on edge as a 16-year-old black boy clings to life. Ralph Yarl was shot in the head over the weekend after he knocked on the wrong front door. Kevin O'Neill represents the 1st di District on the Kansas City City Council and joins us to talk about this afternoon. Kevin, thanks so much. I know your time is really precious and probably tight, so we do appreciate your time. I want to ask you, you know, today the Clay County prosecutors said that they were waiting on the Kansas City police to bring them the case. Meantime, the Kansas City police, you know, the police chief coming out in public saying the detectives needed a statement from the victim to seek charges possibly against this shooter. Has that progressed at all? And what if possibly the shooter uh, or the victim rather is not able to speak for quite some time? Um, I'm sorry I, that you went dead for a minute. So I missed a portion of the question, but I did hear the last part. Um, the what I understand is the victim uh, has uh, is recovering and has been sent home. That's the latest I've heard. So the recovery is happening and uh, he is now at home. Um, I, I don't know the exact rule of the law. I know that the Clay County prosecutor, which is the county where this occurred, is waiting for uh, charges, uh, reported uh, um, uh, referral from the uh, criminal referral from KCPD. So that's kind of where we are with that. Um, there hasn't been a you know, this the 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 guy that was um, the the 80 year old white man that actually 
pulled the trigger, was taken down for custody for a couple hours and then let go, which was disturbing for me. Um, and then I've heard, and, and trust me, there is there has been no uh, information that's been verified. Everything I'm hearing and most people are hearing is just secondhand or thirdhand. But I understand that he has a either a vacation home in uh, Arizona or his family ha- lives in Arizona and he is he has uh, gone to Arizona, which I would find disappointing as well. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, the police chief did put a, a uh, um, uh, priority on this case and has said that this this needs to be done immediately. And we are in the fourth day of this. So hopefully that uh, the, the prosecutors should be getting those criminal uh, uh, criminal referral today. So, so you're telling us that the uh, person who uh, pulled the trigger is not in town. That that is the that is the information I've heard. Okay, I don't like I said a lot of this is just speculative. Right. Well, let me let me ask you. Uh, if, if you have the feeling of the residents uh, in your area. There uh, are are some people already uh, coming to the conclusion that there is a racial element here, or are is there a willingness to kind of hold off on that until we get more you facts know, over what the, happened? The police chief said it best this morning in her in her press conference yesterday. She said that the you know while there is a uh, um, a racial component. There has been nobody's figured out that if there was racial motivation. Um, I, I don't think how you you can. Kevin, are you there? Kevin, can you hear us? All right. I think we lost uh, Mr. O'Neill there. He represents the uh, first district on uh, the Kansas City City Council with this uh, terrible situation there. A uh, young teenager apparently uh, was supposed to go to uh, a, an address, a numbered address that was on Terrace, uh, but he went to the address on Street instead. And as a result, from ringing the do- do- doorbell, he was shot in the head by this person and... Uh, Mr. O'Neill is telling us that the uh, the, the person who uh, pulled the trigger uh, was not in town. So is Kevin back with us? I'm sorry, I got knocked off. No worries, <laughs> no worries. Uh, I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, sure. Since you told us that he's, uh, as far as you know, not in town right now. He's gone to Arizona, maybe. Uh, or is there going to be an issue uh, getting him back into town if, if there are charges filed? I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I would think not because he lives here, and uh, I, that's why it's confounds me as to why um you know they let him go i mean i would have imagined that you know if you're going to release him pending uh, further investigation you're, you're you know part of that is don't leave town so again this this might be speculation on people's part uh, i've heard it from two three different sources i don't know if it's accurate but i, I hope it isn't but mr o'neill even if the issue isn't at, uh, about race if you take race out of it Right. The Missouri's stand your ground law has been talked about even by the police chief and they're investigating whether or not this person who shot this boy may uh, ha- fall under that category when it comes to some kind of defense. How likely are you to see that uh, being a viable defense for this man? Um, and do we know any more context about any kind of exchange between the boy and the man? Are, is there anything like ring video, anything else that can provide context leading up to the shooting? 
we are we are waiting to find out if there was any video in the neighborhood um we don't know at this point i i can say that uh in talking to the police chief the 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 stand your ground law is applicable um if you're using uh, uh deadly force in defense of others in, in a place right um but the it appears that this young man was shot twice he was shot once he hit the ground and if Apparently he he was shot when he opened the door. So the the glass partition between the screen the screen door or the glass door, he shot through that, hit him in the head. He fell down. Then the guy came out and shot him again. That's where the stand your ground becomes uh, less likely to be a good defense because that means that he you know you can defend yourself, but you can't you know put put extra. Uh, go out and do something like that. That that's extra force that that's not necessary right. to protect your. Partner. Well, more and more facts coming out about this. Uh, Kevin O'Neill uh, represents the first district on the Kansas City Council. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You can find the KNX in Depth podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you miss it, also in our eight o'clock show tonight in the rerun of In Depth. Coming up in just a few minutes on In Depth, China has been caught spying in the United States, but this time. No balloons involved. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Alta Ramon and for Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. And at the end of today's show, we're going to tell you about the parents and party planners throwing birthday parties for young kids, some as little as one or two years old that are as extravagant and expensive as most weddings. My dad were still around. He would he would just pound his forehead into the ground at uh, spending money that much money on me when I was one or two years old. Uh, right now, though, China has been caught spying in the U.S. today. But this time it's not about balloons. The Justice Department announced arrests and charges in an extensive operation that's targeting Chinese dissidents who are living here in the U.S. Tracy Walder has served as both CIA officer and an FBI special agent. She's the author of the book, The Unexpected Spy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, detail a little bit uh, for us, if you would, please, uh, how this operation worked. I understand there's a, a secret police station involved. Right. So basically, they set this up under the auspices or the guise of this just being a place where people who needed help processing paperwork for visas and those kinds of things could come. But really what they're doing, and we believe that they have a lot more of these set up, is that actually spying on Chinese dissidents that are here in the United States and trying to basically force them to repatriate them back themselves back to China to face whatever criminal charges they may have there. So you're saying you think there are possibly more, if I heard you correctly, more uh, situations set up like this, more places set up like this. Are you talking just within New York? Or are you talking within the entire country? And if so, what does that say about our national security and where we are with Chinese spying? So I think it's not just uh, statewide or nationwide. It's actually worldwide. I, I, I think they just brought down one of these in Canada um, not that long ago. And we believe that these are operating in, in many, many countries. And, you know, what this does say about national security, I'm not minimizing what they're doing. They're They're not necessarily stealing American secrets. But what they are doing is basically acting as a police force of their own country 
in another country, which is highly illegal, and forcing our citizens to repatriate themselves back to China. And so that from a criminal justice perspective is is highly problematic. You can't enter another country and basically deputize yourself as a police service there. And some of what uh, they were doing also, not just uh, spying on or keeping tabs on dissidents here in the U.S., they were also uh, trying to intimidate them into silence, breaking up any virtual meetings that they had. In other words, to enforce their view of what China says you were allowed to say and think. Right. So, you know, China is a communist country. They do have firewalls and they don't allow certain networks and databases to operate within their country. But I think China realizes, look, the world is a global place. We can't stop the spread of ideas. So their quote unquote solution to that is to set up their own police service in these other countries to stop um, the spread of these ideas. So, of course, the the wider problem, too, is uh, I'm thinking the the ripple effect that it may have on some of the people that these uh, Chinese spies have been able to affect. And what kind of ripple effect do you see happening because of this? And also, is it just China, you think, operating from within our own country? You know, can I, I'm going to answer your second question first. I, I, I do feel that, it, look, I don't want to ever say in the national security realm that it's just limited to one country. However, if we're looking at stopping the spread of ideas and containing ideology, that's very indicative of what uh, the Chinese government is doing. So I tend to lean on the fact that they may be one of the very few um, that are doing that here in the United States in terms of stopping that, those ideals. Now, in terms of people being basically forced to repatriate themselves back to China, they could be looking at at death, quite frankly, having to go back there. And so ultimately, people could lose lives, their lives because of this. Very quickly, uh, do you still have friends in the CIA? And if you do, uh, what is their feeling? Uh, Are we headed to a flashpoint with China here? Things ramping up to something uh, dangerous? I do still have friends in the CIA, but unfortunately, I can't. Um, divulge what, if, what they think. If about you told things. us, you would have to kill us. <laughs> yes. Right. There you go. Thanks so much. That's Tracy Walder. Uh, used to be at the CIA and also an FBI special, special agent and author of a book called The Unexpected Spy. All right. Coming up in just a few minutes on KNX In Depth, how a hip cosmetic surgery procedure went horribly wrong for hundreds of patients and more horror stories on that, bringing into question the procedure. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramone, sitting in this week for Charles Feldman, who is on the man. We're thinking about you, Charles. He's Hoping got a scooter. He he's does. riding around on a little because he's got a uh, problem with his foot. They're operating on it. But uh, for a while, getting ready for that, he had to scoot around on a little knee scooter here uh, in the studio. I tried and, to hop uh, a ride. And it yeah. Just didn't no, it wouldn't let you do <laughs> he it. Wouldn't let I, me do I it. I kept telling him, put a motor on that thing and maybe a backup uh, alarm, you know. And beep, a basket. Beep. Yeah. Uh, no, he got the basket. Oh, he did. Got to have okay. the basket. Right. <laughs> cool sculpting. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it was appealing for anybody looking to trim fat and lose weight. Basically, you freeze the fat. You freeze your way to thinness. Yeah, uh, it's very popular here in Los Angeles. Billboards everywhere. The machines have generated more than two billion dollars in revenue, but. Uh, 
More and more people are reporting problems with this procedure. Anna Cote is an investigative reporter from The New York Times who put together an exhaustive story on cool sculpting and some of the issues that are starting to pop up. Thanks a lot for joining us, Anna. So what are some of the issues people are reporting to you, first of all? Hi, thank you for having me. Um, The main side effect that my story focused on is called paradoxical adipose hyperplasia. And it's basically the Can you say that three times fast? (laughs) (laughs) Is there an abbreviation? (laughs) Yes, PAH is is a handy abbreviation. Um, But basically, uh, in cases of PAH, the fat grows, hardens, and lodges in the body, which is pretty much the opposite of what people come in for this procedure for. So wait, are you saying that it could actually have the opposite effect of what people are going in to do? Because I I will say, I do remember when uh, famous supermodel Linda Evangelista, I believe, went public and was very public about her experience with cool cool sculpting. And she basically said it it maimed her and left her uh, disfigured and had the opposite effect. But that was her experience. Are, Are you finding that too? Right, exactly. Um, So Linda Evangelista said she spent a lot of time out of the public eye after this happened to her. And after her story came out, we saw many other patients share similar stories of having the same side effect. And that's kind of what prompted us to look into this story, because the technology has been around on the market since 2010. And we thought, if this model is suddenly sparking all of these other people to come forward. Also, maybe there's something else going on here. All right. So it was supposed to be kind of a replacement for liposuction or something else that people could do instead of that. And as you say, it's been around since about 2010 or so, uh, basically freezing the fat. If all these problems are cropping up with it now, was there not enough investigation of this when they first started bringing this to market? Where, where did the ball get dropped? That's a tough question. Um, you know, The initial study that led to FDA clearance for this device involved 60 subjects, and that's pretty normal for a medical device to get cleared onto the market, but that could have had something to do with it. And um, there are lots of different ways of presenting the numbers that can obscure what the company knows about the side effect. For example, they calculate the incidence of PAH based on the number of treatments rather than based on the number of patients, which ends up giving a smaller incidence percentage than if you were to do it the other way around. So do you know what the threshold then is for the FDA before there's a decision to uh, stop offering this procedure until more can be investigated? All the experts I spoke with who study the FDA regulatory process all said there's no formal process for that, but usually media attention and a huge spike in reports causes some sort of signal to investigate or look into this for further. And are there lawsuits? Are there going to be lawsuits? There currently are some, and there probably will be more, yeah. Could it turn into a class action kind of a thing? I'm not sure. All right. Uh, Anna Cote is an investigative reporter from the New York Times, uh, wrote an exhaustive story on uh, cool sculpting, freezing your fat away. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Coming up next, birthday parties for toddlers Mm. that cost more than weddings. Have you been to any? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't. First of all, I'm just going to stop asking that question because I know you probably. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, probably I, I think the people who could afford to spend that much money on a birthday party for Tyler don't know me and probably don't want to know me. <laughs> And would not invite me to their birthday party for a toddler. Wait a minute. Are you trying to say But that? I have No, I take that back. I have been to some <laughs> toddler birthday parties for some friends. Now, they didn't spend a million dollars on it, but they spent a lot of money it's, and yeah. put a lot of work into it, which made me just feel bad because I never had that much work put in any of my birthday parties. <laughs> I was lucky if I got a cake. Right? I yeah. know. Well, I mean, look, as a parent, I know that people are spending more for elementary school and middle school and tuition for private school than some universities. So I'm I'm sadly not surprised that they're spending this much money, too, on parties. But, yes, it's a thing. And we'll talk about them coming up next. You're listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Elsa Ramon. Thank you for letting me be here with you today, by the way, Rob and Charles. Hope you're feeling better. We didn't have a choice. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right. I mean, we love yeah, having well, you. Here. Seriously, you know, I mean, I'm just getting used to pushing the button. So, <laughs> of course, uh, we're going to talk about this entertainment, these parties, the entertainment, top notch, food expensive, all the stops pulled out. You would think we're talking about a wedding. But we're not. It's a birthday party for a toddler. Now, some parents are spending upwards of $75,000 for a birthday party that, ironically, the young kids probably won't remember. Uh, <laughs> Lisa Zelkin is CEO of the Party Planning Service, uh, Send in the Clowns. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So if the young kids don't remember this, this is really for the parents to show off how much money they can spend on a party, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I really wouldn't um, couch it that way. Per okay. Se. Yeah, but I would. Okay. Well, to each his own, right? Um, but, you know, it, this is really, this isn't anything new. I've been in this business for 30 years. And, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we were talking about the extra extravagant nature of kids' birthday parties. Everything just kind of, the bar gets raised, you know, every so often. Um, and I think COVID really pushed us to raise the bar even further and higher right now. So, okay, I'm a parent. Um, I have two kids. My daughter just turned 19. My son just turned 10. And, you know, I, I know the feeling that you want to give them everything and you want everything to be so wonderful for them. And but but truly, do you ever see any impacts of spending that much money and having something so extravagant on the kids and possibly kids? continuing to expect that level of celebration in the parties or is this something you that know, these parents do one time and and then that's maybe it i i don't think people set out to spend a certain amount of money and i don't think they bring kids into that conversation either i think things kind of spin out of i don't want to say control but you know there's so much you can do when it comes to celebrating your child. And oftentimes people use celebrating their child as an excuse to celebrate with friends and family. You know, it used to be like my parents era, they were having cocktail parties with just the grownups on a Saturday night and the kids weren't involved. But now it's like everybody's in, you know, the grownups, the kids, it's just sort of a level playing field of celebration. And I think people can justify it in that way. Yes, it's for my child's second birthday or my child's fourth birthday, but I'm inviting the whole class and I'm inviting the neighbors and friends and I'm inviting all my cohorts at work and so on. And I think it just becomes, you know, 
a larger celebration with the excuse of celebrating for your child. Right. So it's it's a party for the adults as well. So you want to throw a good party. But let me give you a, a, a little story from my childhood. I'm told that I once had a birthday party because my birthday is very close to Halloween, that I had a Halloween themed birthday party and that they had a skeleton there and that people were dressed up in Halloween costumes. I don't remember that party. I don't remember it. So uh, would it be evil of someone to say, hey, you know, when you were two years old, we spent uh, 75,000 bucks <laughs> on your birthday party and the kid believes it. Could you do that? I mean, I just I, I think the the price point element of it is not the conversation the kid needs to have. Right. Um, but like, listen, you're talking about that party today, right? So maybe you don't remember it, but it's become like a, a story in your family. It's become something that's you know holds some sort of significance for you. And pictures um, and pictures, yeah. uh, you know, video, today, video. Okay, so uh, Lisa, what are some of the most memorable parties you've put together for? a child what are some of the things that were just like oh my gosh wow this is highly uh, <laughs> extravagant and incredible so i like to describe the parties that i throw as not over the top but well thought out so i don't just suggest to people or um run with an idea that a client has simply because it's over the top it has to make sense there has to be a reason for it so for me um balloon decoration which has become like the zeitgeist of all parties and instagram these days for me balloons have always been about like informing the party not just something decorative to just do tons of but to have a purpose there was a time that i did um a farm themed party and we literally made a balloon barn we built walls out of balloons and created this what looked like a barn but it was made out of balloons and to me that just kind of blended the idea of party infrastructure with something unexpected and fun and a cool surprise what's the most um, money somebody spent on a party with uh, with your service uh so between you and me and the entire listening audience yeah it's a secret uh, <laughs> don't tell anyone so there there has been the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget Whoa. not <laughs> not because someone has said that that is what they want to spend but a they have the means and b it just kind of got to that place you know hundreds of kids and well let's say a hundred kids and a hundred adults and you know, all the infrastructure, all the food, building something from the ground up in someone's backyard that isn't set up to entertain 200 people. Mm. And you have to remember also even at a wedding, you know, it's very simple. Flowers, food, band, sure, cocktails. Sure, that, that, that turned groom. into an amusement park, yeah. that that party. Yeah. <laughs> the one. Wait, so oh, wow. This party were like ball pits, balloons, <laughs> cobblers, yeah. sure. walkers, uh, carnival games, uh, you know, food carts. Yeah. Sounds fun. All right. All right, Lisa, Lisa Zelkin, Zelkin uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, CEO of the Party Planning Service, Send in the Clouds. I think this is a lesson in people spend the money that they have. Right? Sure. And you- and money does change things because I imagine uh, if you could spend, say, $250,000 on a wristwatch, you don't need to know what time it is. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's the, it's the value that people put on the things that are important right. to them. And I, I, I do understand and I understand that love for your child it, and wanting to do everything you possibly can. If you had $250,000 spent on a party, would you? Nope. For you kid? Okay. Nope. No, right there. No, that's no, no. that's but the you final know, word. I was raised by boomers, so yes. you know I'm I'm part feral, so I don't know. That's it uh, for Kid Next in Depth today. We'll be back tomorrow at one p.m.